programmatic advertising, fear, and vast. That's what we're talking about this week on Sounds Profitable with me, Brian Barletta. I know that you're listening to Sounds Profitable because podcast ad tech is important to you, but it's important to me that you are kept up to date on the latest news from the entire podcast industry. To help with that, here's what happened last week, no matter when you're listening, from James Cridlin at Pod News. When people hear programmatic advertising, most people immediately think open marketplace. That's just not the case, and I've discussed this further in my article titled, Programmatic Advertising, The Hero Podcast Publishers Need. But why is this misunderstanding happening? To figure it out, I spoke with Ben Massey from Triton Digital. Here's what he had to say. Well, thanks, Ben, for joining me today. You know, so I wanted to ask you a few questions. The article that we're going over is my one on programmatic advertising. And I think one of the big things that I covered in that article was there was a lot of confusion with programmatic. So I kind of wanted to dive in first there and, and ask your thoughts on why do people default to thinking that all programmatic is open marketplace? Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe because it started as an open marketplace when display uh, was for like programmatic started with display on browsers. Like I don't even know when, maybe 15, 20 years ago. And then they moved to video. But I remember that when at Triton, we started thinking about programmatic audio. So that's in, uh, I started at Triton at, in 2012. And so that was one of the first projects I, I tackled, how to help publisher get better monetization. So this is when we've approached trading desks and DSPs uh, and SSPs at the time to talk about audio. And I remember attending some trade shows in New York City where they started to talk about upper funnel programmatic rather than just direct response. And then like buyers wanting to pick and choose publishers. So that was even before header bidding and all of that. So I think like the concept of having private marketplace or deals is maybe eight, nine years old versus programmatic in general, which must be 15 to 20 years old. And also there's a lot of people doing comparison between the stock exchange and programmatic advertising. And usually when you trade on a NASDAQ or any other stock exchange, it's a public market. So I think by default, people think it's always a public space rather than a private space. And then it could also be just like uh, laziness. People will just bundle everything into like an open marketplace either because they want to make a point saying like, I don't want to do programmatic. It's just like an open marketplace with like the race to the bottom price and you don't know who's advertising on you or publishers are making their inventory available. So I think there's good and bad reason why we keep thinking for some actually that uh, programmatic is an open marketplace. Gotcha. Yeah, that explains a lot of it. I mean, I guess with that in mind there, you know, when we think about open marketplace, the mindset there is that I list my inventory and it's not identified to the person buying it until after it's purchased, right? It meets the targeting criteria that they're looking for. It meets the price and everything. And then standard open marketplace means that they don't explain that it's Brian's website or Brian's podcast until after the purchase of that impression has happened, right? 
Uh, no, actually, it depends on the settings and the DSPs. So it is an audience buy. So you're 100% accurate on that. So people buying on the open exchange or marketplace will usually not trade on that exchange to target a specific publisher. However, with with everything related to fighting fraud and brand safety, so for the past, I don't I don't remember when this the chief marketing officer of Procter and Gamble uh, had his famous speech at the IB Leadership Summit. I think that's like four or five years ago, where he said that he wanted to make sure that only vetted publishers with MRC accreditation or equivalent would be considered. So from that point on, I think that. Um, the idea behind all the SPs is to know exactly what's cooking. So when you follow the OpenRTB protocol, um, and especially when you implement the ads.txt and equivalents, you are disclosing the properties and who's behind the properties and who's representing those properties. So when you use like standard DSPs like Google, the Trade Desk, Media Math, you will see via the bid landscape all of the information. So you wouldn't know it's Brian's website that you would be bidding on. But the reality is traders won't be selecting Brian's website. They will be selecting a podcast. They would say, I want to just target B2B podcast, which is your podcast. We, we, your target I'd uh, say so, yeah. Enterprise, not consumers. And um, if they want to be more precise, they could say like a, a podcast on... Um, mostly consume on a certain type of device. Let's say they just want to target people on iOS because it's a telco that wants to promote a new phone or something like that. So they will put those criteria. So they won't be necessarily selecting websites. They could have allo and block lists. So that is, that's something you can do in the open exchange. You would say, I'm, I'm buying anything except that type of websites or publishers. Uh, either by category or by being specific on brands. So I'd say most transactions on the open exchange, open marketplace is fully transparent, not just at the impression. Some networks will obfuscate the information. So you will only get it when you, as you stated, when you get the report. So I suppose it's up to the publisher and the buyer to decide do they want to work with semi-opaque or fully opaque networks versus fully transparent. There are pluses and minuses on both. The pluses on opaqueness, you should be working with opaque or semi-opaque network because you have, from a publisher perspective, a, a minimum guarantee uh, because you're bundled into a, like a, a portfolio of publishers represented by that network. And as a buyer, it's convenience because you will work with an ad network that you trust. So, you know, they represent publishers that you trust and they will pick and choose the right property to fulfill the buy according to the, the, the to the brief. So that would be like one of the key advantage there. What you're talking about is less that the buyers are going to have control or the tools to say, I want to target specifically Brian's podcast, but more that my podcast will be associated with a network that is trusted and verified or my content is trusted and verified with whatever technology partner I connect with. And therefore, it, it has clout, right? Like Exactly. Okay. Yeah, and exactly. so you mentioned ads.txt and you mentioned MRC. And so for the people who are podcast first, you know, MRC is another three-letter word, uh, which is a terrible thing in this space. And it's one more certification. And, you know, I don't think it's 
really gotten like high adoption yet in podcasts it seems to be getting adoption in audio in general right yeah so the mrc joint participated to the iab uh, v2 podcast measurement guidelines so they've they were one of the member contributing to the original guidelines but you're right that the so Triton has, uh, is also working with the MRC, but we're working with the MRC for the uh, live streaming uh, measurement, not for the podcast. Podcast is the IAB. And one of the reasons why the MRC has maybe not stepped in in the podcast space, uh, which MRC, by the way, stands for Media Rating Console. So it's because the, the IAB is there already with, with, uh, with a standard which for which the MRC has contributed to. And then... It's a limited scope of what you can do in podcasts because Apple Podcasts or or Spotify Podcast app um, are not sending client side signal to the hosting company. Yeah. Um, so we need to work with a different methodology than the one that the MRC is usually advocating, which is either a, a player side or client side signal or a validated server side signal validated by meaning you know for a fact that someone actually listened to the stream, which is possible to do when you stream, but not necessarily when you download. So yeah. Sorry to have no, no, that's no. It's like great. going into a rabbit hole here, but that's. Uh, yeah. I think that that I mean, like one thing that I want to just harp on there is that I, you know, I, I think we keep saying that podcasting is limited, and I think that it's true that compared to other mediums, it is. But like this is an industry where people are like working really hard to make money right? Margins yes. are great. Everybody advertising is one of the bigger industries that grew uh, during a pandemic, especially podcast advertising, it seems right. And so like, it's so funny to me that like, MRC as a as an organization, if they are so focused on this player side stuff, I wish that they would get out there and go talk to the podcast players and push that because it would help all of us and legitimize the things that they're asking for that there's more of. So that's why I don't always like, and that's why, you know, I, I got to stand on my soapbox here and say that, like, I don't think it's limited on our end. It's limited on their scope of who they're willing to get to buy into their certification podcasting. And also on the fact that they're just looking at limited data points. I mean, we saw the entire world focus on mobile ad IDs and cookies. And now with the change in iOS 14 and Apple and Firefox and soon Chrome's change with third-party cookies, like the entire industry didn't just collapse. They were just like, well, I guess we got to look at IP and identity. And so I think, you know, my challenge to, to groups like the MRC is like adapt to podcasting. Don't just keep telling us to adapt, you know? Yes, I agree that the challenges or the limitations are not, I would say, absolute limitations or more limitation due to the current state of technology or business or expectations. Establishing standards though requires industry lobby. You don't want a bit like what is happening where Apple has established new rules for the mobile ad ID or Google pushing for Turtle Dove, which is their own stance at how they should manage the end of cookies and, and the third party cookies and the browsers and so on and so forth. So you'd rather have industry lobby coming with someone which is a standard accepted by more than a single individual to just make sure everyone has a voice on a chapter. But every time you want to do that, it takes more time. So basically, standards will always be behind the reality. Yeah. However, it, however, what needs to happen is that whomever is acting in that industry 
has to keep their an open mind. So advertisers, marketers. So on the advertisers side, the marketers, the agencies, the BSPs, and all of the other ad tech vendors on the buy side as well as on the sell side to make sure that okay, there are standards in place and limitations. And instead of ignoring everything that does not fit into the box, we would be okay to have some wiggle room to just make sure that the transactions can happen and people can adapt uh, how things are being done, which is what is happening in podcasts. We've seen a, a surge of programmatic podcasts in the past 30 days. I think a few years back, or maybe a year back, it was probably less than 5% maybe of the transactions. We've seen in the past 60 days that we're at 15% of all of the transactions in the exchange going to podcasts, which is a huge growth. That is huge. Triple, triple growth. And knowing that the exchange, the marketplace has crossed the 1 billion mark in terms of, of transactions, it's growing because it was maybe half that size a year ago. So like the relatively speaking, the podcast space is, is growing really fast and programmatic. But again, it depends of the publisher, the strategy, because programmatic could be first strategy for some publishers and for others, it's more like a fallback. So it yeah. depends where they put programmatic in their, um, in their mind and in their at, at tech stack. So before we get, get into that part, because I do want to dig into it with ads.txt, right? That's an identifier of my site. It's a framework that says, this is who the site is. I put this information there and it's available in, in other formats, or I guess yeah, it- it's read. Yeah, correct. And it's read by the DSP. So every time you submit a request, you need to put the domain name of your publisher, which is a problem in podcasts for a smaller podcast, but for a bigger podcast group, they always have a website. And, and the DSP need to check that website to make sure like who has the right to represent. So let's say a publisher is using Triton. Triton has to be listed there. So when the DSP gets requests for that specific podcast and uh, in the ads.txt it's declared, then they know it's not fraudulent. Because yeah. what they wanted to do is to avoid someone claiming that they represent Brian's podcast when they're not. And then let's say... Uh, they make money. They want to make sure actually Brian's is making money and not someone that's poofed the address and is just like claiming. Yeah, that's falsely smart. Claiming that they own the, the podcast. But so a lot of, is it accurate to say that a lot of programmatic advertising in podcasting is based off of the VAST protocol instead of the open RTV protocol? Uh, it depends of the hosts. So to that's that's a good question. I cannot claim that I know how every other podcast hosts is working, but Triton, we are connected to all the SPs via OpenRTB, which is the standard protocol for connecting uh, the main side platform or DSPs to sell side platform SSP. So Triton as an SSP, and then the publisher hosts will call the SSP. So between the ad server or the hosts, uh, like Omni Studio in the case of Triton, and the SSP, it's usually a VAST tag because you will delegate your... So yeah. Omni to Triton is VAST, but Triton to the other partners out there is RTB, open RTB. Yes, but okay. what, I've, yeah, what I've seen though is some hosting platform and or publisher will accept a VAST tag coming directly from a DSP, which is f- so from the from the buyer tool. The big negative on this is that you don't know what's in the VAST tag because the VAST tag is not built to filter what's going on. Basically, 
if you accept a VAS tag from a DSP, you need to trust whomever gave you that VAS tag. Yeah, it's an open DSP portal. Because, yeah, because you don't have price, you don't have floor, you don't mm -hmm. have industry separation, you don't have allo and block lists. Whereas when you use an SSP, this is what you get from the SSP. You would say like, I'm okay, but only on those conditions. We could could be like you, you, we talked about it: open exchange versus private deals, like brands that uh, are at authorized or categories authorized minimum price. You could have like variations, like in the U.S. I'm okay with this, but in the U.K. exactly, with that, yeah, and all of this. So this is the, all of those rules are on the SSP. So as a publisher, I would not want to put tags without having someone fixing and filtering uh, the content of those tags. Yeah. So I would use an SSP. I don't think it's a good idea to put a VAST tag, but it works, but I don't think it's best practice. No, I agree with you. And I think that, so for everybody listening, you know, I always confuse SSP and DSP and think of SSP, it's it's supply side platform, but I like sell side platform because it helps remind me who's selling their inventory. Um, the amount of times I get on a call and I have to like Google it beforehand, I'm like, I don't want to say the wrong one. But that, you know, Ben's really right there because what an SSP is going to enable you to do is say, this is my inventory and this is how I want to represent it. Here are my conditions. Like Ben said, you can set like your IAB content category blocks. You can block specific domains. You can set specific rules based on targeting such as geo. So like you said, I can say in the US don't allow Pepsi to be an advertiser, but outside the US I'll allow it so that I'm not worrying about, you know, maybe a direct deal I had there. And I can also say, oh, in the US, I sell at a $30 CPM. So there's no way that I want to allow anybody to buy cheaper than that in the US. But in you know, Southeast Asia, I'm selling at a $15 CPM and not getting a lot of fills. So I'm willing to negotiate down to $10. And so that's the SSP gives you all those options. The DSP, when you think about it, all of Vastag is, is instead of putting an MP3 in to say, this is the audio for the ad, it's saying, instead of putting a static ad there, call another ad server, give someone else full decision and control. So the SSP represents you and the DSP represents the advertiser. And so, you know, that's the exact reason to have an SSP in place because you configure who you are, what you want, and it interacts with the DSP to make sure it matches the advertiser. Using just a DSP's VAST tag gives them direct access to you and not a lot of controls or restrictions on your end. Exactly. And then if you have two buyers using two DSPs or the same DSPs, you get like multiple VAS tag. And what do you do with those? Like which VAS tag do you want to prioritize versus the other? And it becomes complicated. That's why it's better to use an SSP that is built specifically to deal with programmatic demands. Yeah. And so putting you on the spot with that, I got to ask, so an SSP doesn't exist for the, you know, for the altruistic nature of protecting publishers. What should someone expect the average cut to be that they that's taken out of the CPMs from an SSP? So just a clarification point here. So the SSP is built not to be altruistic, but on behalf of supporting the publisher. So Triton do not have a DSP. So we do not sell anything to the advertiser. So because of that... Our technology is built to be biased in favor of publishers. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's a big point for Triton that I want to make sure that everybody's clear of because I don't think it's super clear. Triton doesn't currently create any of their own inventory. And they currently do not sell 
or represent advertisers. So it is all publisher tools, which is really relevant to think about when we talk about both programmatic and your ranker, which I'm definitely going to cover in, a, in the future. But, you know, I, I think you guys have so many cool tools and it's kind of hard sometimes to understand all the differences between them. So that's something I want to make sure everybody's clear that Triton is a company that represents the publisher and has ad tech. Whereas a lot of the other platforms out there both represent the publisher and the buyer or advertiser. And, you know, that it's, it's just a very different view and it's really cool. Yes, uh, thank you for, for all of that. So to answer your question, so the standard rates for the open exchange is usually 30% and the standard rate for private deals or any other ad network deals is 10%, which is pretty common across the SSP space. So we take we we don't have minimum commits or charge any any uh, any other fee. So basically, if if you have a deal with a buyer using a DSP and and they want to give you ten dollars CPM, we take ten percent of that. So what it means is, if there's no transaction, it costs nothing. If there's a transaction, we take ten percent of this. Um, these rates could be negotiated based on commitments, meaning that we know there are more traffic coming our way or we, we are the exclusive SSP of a specific publisher. So everything is negotiable based on quantities or commitments, but that's those are pretty standard rates. That's awesome. And so and then you as an SSP are connected to all these other DSPs. Are there yes. if I as a publisher for whatever reason came across a DSP that you weren't integrated with, would you guys evaluate an integration or Yes, yes, we do because we, so basically any DSP that follows OpenRTB 2.3, but in 2.3, the audio concept didn't exist. So we need to pass audio via the video tag and 2.4 plus is when the audio object is native inside the OpenRTB. We can connect to all of those. We're also connected to BitSwitch, which is an integrator connected to to like hundreds and hundreds of DSPs. So basically we have about 30 DSPs already connected to our platform. The big one, like uh, Google, the Trade Desk, MediaMat, as well as the specialized one, like AdWiz, uh, TargetSpot, but also independent trading desks like AdTierance or AdForm or uh, Dynamics. So we have like a lot of those. At the moment, we're actively integrating DSPs in uh, South Asia and Southeast Asia. So we have a list of uh, maybe five to 10 DSPs integrating. We have a team that is just doing that DSP that's awesome because we don't want to block them and the goal. And that's why the OpenRTB standard was put in place is we have like a common way to shake hands between a DSP and an SSP. Yeah. And so are, are DSPs out there that are compatible with streaming audio easily compatible with podcast audio or are there changes that they have to make on their end? So usually any DSP that supports video and CTV uh, or outdoor should be quite easy to integrate. DSPs that are only trading on display sometimes is more challenging. The biggest challenge is the timeout because we need to have time between requesting an ad and confirming that the ad was actually won and inserted, uh, not won, but inserted. So the timeout will be where display-only DSPs are expecting instantaneous confirmation, which is not the case. We have some platform hosts that will take two hours before they can confirm if uh, if an ad was actually inserted or not in a podcast. 
So because of that, we need to make sure the DSPs will not time out, meaning will not stop bothering if we haven't confirmed within a given time frame. So this is the biggest limitations, but I would say that the most DSPs are, are actively trading video and, and CTV now. So it's pretty rare that we have a DSP that will not be able to accommodate for those things. That's really cool. So, I mean, at the end of the day, programmatic is allowing people to sell additional inventory, whether as a primary strategy or as a backup strategy. And it's also allowing people to connect in different ways with tools that are preferential to them. You know, direct sold might be something that people use a Google Doc to track everything and have to do it manually and host it all themselves, whereas programmatic even if it's a programmatic direct deal between two different companies, it's just a way to provide everything in one digestible format with using a piece of technology instead of spreadsheets that you have to copy and paste tracking pixels and creatives in. And so, Ben, this was really great to have you here. I guarantee I'm going to have you back. There's a lot more to talk about related to Triton and your expertise in programmatic audio. But I guess I'm going to put you on the spot with my favorite question to ask all my guests. What is a podcast that you're listening to right now that you'd like to share with everybody? Um, so I do listen to a lot of podcasts, a lot of podcasts on different topics from current affairs to um, history. Um, I would say one podcast that I quite like because we have a lot of activities in Asia and I want to make sure I fully understand the trends is Tech Buzz uh, China, which is a podcast which is published, I think, every two weeks and then they have some um, special podcast that they release sometimes. So it's uh, it's a professional podcast, which is part of the Pan Daily Network, I believe the name of the network. So they have really well produced like 20 to 30 minute podcast that gives a good glimpse of what is cooking in China and sometimes spilling a bit outside of China. But it's really important because in the podcast space is really strong in the US and in the Anglo-Saxon world. But I would say, honestly, the Latin America and, and Spain, like Hispanic world is also like uh, blooming really well in podcasts. But China is probably actually the biggest podcast uh, market. It's not the biggest for Triton nor most of the U.S. companies, but it's like the population size is huge. And they're quite advanced in consuming short, short snippets of uh, audio, whether it's education, books or others. So that's why I feel that podcast is really great to to understand what's going on there. Yeah, no, I super agree with you. I'm going to check that one out. So thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Brian, for having me. And stick around for some special bonus content at the end of the episode. I've teamed up with Terra to give you a minute-long strategic thought that is guaranteed to shift your perspective on the present and future of podcasting as we all work to make podcasting better. Thanks for listening to Sounds Profitable on your favorite podcast app. I appreciate you checking out my latest episode and hope you'll consider subscribing. Thanks to Ben Massey for coming on to help expand on my article, Programmatic Advertising, The Hero Podcast Publishers Need. If you liked what you heard and want to connect, you can find me, Brian Barletta, on LinkedIn, way less formally on Twitter as High 5 RPG. And of course, you can email me, brian at soundsprofitable.com. The Sounds Profitable podcast and all cool ad tech bells and whistles you've experienced were thanks to our host and sponsor, Wooshka. Everything you've heard since the conversation ended was uniquely created to target you using their dynamic ad insertion features. 
If any of the callouts were wrong, let us know. Depending on how you're listening, there were over 10 opportunities to hear dynamically inserted content and ads in this episode. While we continue to tweak and innovate our setup, some of the breaks may be more noticeable than others. Thank you for bearing with us and please send over your feedback. The Sounds Profitable podcast would not be possible without the help and support of Evo Terra, James Cridlin, Ian Powell, and Sam Mars. Thank you all for your help and support. 